Today on Blue 58, it's Joe Barry. The Packers have made their pick for Mike Pettin's replacement, and it is a two-time former defensive coordinator most recently employed, technically by the Los Angeles Chargers. So what do we make of Joe Barry? He wasn't Matt LaFleur's first choice, and it doesn't seem like he's any Packers fan's first choice either. How's he going to change things in Green Bay? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. Before we get into Joe Barry discussion, I want to remind you that uh, the Patreon podcast is resuming this week, a bonus podcast, uh, this time talking all about books that are going to help you become a smarter Packers fan. It's got 11 selections to talk about, and uh, if you head over to Patreon.com slash ThePowerSweep and join our Patreon team, you will have access to that as well as other bonus content on, at the very least, a weekly basis. But that is for, well, for you to find out patreon.com slash thepowersweep. You also get access to our Discord server there. But that is for that. This is for now. The Packers have a new defensive coordinator. It is Joe Barry, 50 years old, worked as the defensive coordinator for the Detroit Lions in 2007 and their 0-16 2008 season. He was the Washington football team's defensive coordinator in 2015 and 2016. Professionally, his background is a little Monty Kiffin, a little Wade Phillips, a little Vic Fangio, and a little being friends with the right people. So how'd the Packers get here? According to Tom Silverstein, of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, it was down to these four. Jim Leonard, who was clearly the top choice and apparently was offered the job and turned it down. Then a group of three, Barry, Ajiro Averro, and Chris Harris. Matt LaFleur wanted somebody from the Vic Fangio defensive scheme tree, and in Barry and Averro, he seems to have that at least a little bit. Uh, Barry worked for John Pagano with the Chargers, who had worked under Fangio, and then worked under Brandon Staley in L.A., who's off the Fangio tree. Avera worked under Fangio in San Francisco, then worked for Staley in Los Angeles, and then Harris worked for Wade Phillips, and then Brandon Staley in Los Angeles as well. Basically, I think that narrows it down to Barry and Avera. And then, as far as figuring out how the Packers landed on Joe Barry... I kind of lose the thread from there a little bit. It's not immediately clear, and we haven't heard from the Packers directly other than nice, feel-good sort of statements or Matt LaFleur or Joe Barry as to exactly why they want Joe Barry to run their defense. It's not really clear why someone would prefer him over Averro. If you take out the fact that he's been a defensive coordinator before, not even talking about his relative quality as a defensive coordinator in those spots— it's really hard to say, and they don't have that different of a arc to where they were prior to their most recent jobs at all. So let's play spin zone for a little bit. How would we spin this higher if we were trying to present it in as positive of a light as possible? I think there's a couple angles that you can look at. If you're trying to spin this higher, here's what you say. Joe Barry's got experience. Joe Barry runs a defense that has been successful in the NFL. Joe Barry had some personnel issues in Detroit and Washington. They didn't have a lot of talent on those defenses. And more to the point, if you're skeptical about having Barry around, just remember that talented coaches like Sean McVay and Brandon Staley wanted to have him around. So that should make you feel a little bit better. Let's look at those points. Do they actually make sense? 
Joe Barry has experience. Yes, that is true. He has been a defensive coordinator before, but he hasn't been particularly good in either of those stops. We can go as deep as you want on this. The stats do not paint a pretty picture. He's never been higher. higher, He's never coached a defense that has ranked higher as a coordinator than 28th in yards and 17th in scoring. It just hasn't been good. There's no way to spin his defense as being good. He does run a defense that has been successful in the NFL. That is true. Vic Fangio's scheme has been successful throughout the NFL, as has Wade Phillips, as has Monty Kiffins. That doesn't mean it's going to be successful in Green Bay. And running those same schemes wasn't terribly successful in Detroit or Washington. This is not so much a point against him, though, as something that doesn't really mean anything. Okay, so he's got a great scheme. Who cares? I mean, Sean McVay has a great scheme. It didn't work all that great with Jared Goff running the show in Los Angeles. Did for a season or two, but it started to break down, right? So scheme isn't everything. Joe Barry, people will say, had personnel issues in Detroit and Washington, and there's some real merit to this. If if you're trying to defend the Joe Barry hire, I think this is where you go. Detroit had Sean Rogers and really nobody else, and that was only for 2007. Other than that, Paris Lennon was their second leading tackler in 2007 and 2008, or and their leading tackler, second in 2007 and leading tackler in 08. Not that I would ever besmirch the good name of a former Packers player, but I think you see what I'm getting at. I don't think anybody in 2007 or 2008 was pining for Paris Lennon in Green Bay. Man, if we only had Paris Lennon, and really put the defense over the top. No, I don't think anybody was saying that. In Washington, you know, it wasn't all bad. It really kind of boom or bust, especially 2015. They had five games where they held opposing teams to under 20 points. That's pretty good. They had five games where they gave up more than 30 points. That's bad. And look, we can parse that out a little bit. Something I pointed out about Mike Pettin is that the games that people point to as being really bad for the Packers, yeah, they were. But a lot of the points they gave up weren't necessarily the defense's fault. Take the Tampa Bay game, either one, really. The first one in week six, a pick six and a drive that starts on your two. There's your 14 points right there. You take those out, and they're down to 24. They were racking up three and outs pretty handily there against Tom Brady for a while, and once the game got out of reach, well, it doesn't really matter anymore. That kind of seems like Joe Barry, at least in 2015 a little bit. The talent level in Washington was not great, but it was okay. Mason Foster, Preston Smith, Josh Norman, probably still two to three players away from getting to above average territory, just strictly talent-wise, but there's some pieces there. Washington under Barry got worked by the Packers in the 2015 playoffs. They also held the Packers to 24 points in the 2016 regular season uh, amidst that kind of mid-season swoon the Packers experienced, four-game losing streak in there. Finally, to the point that talented coaches like McVay and Staley wanted Barry around. That is certainly true. Can't argue with that. They did want to hire him. They didn't want him to be their defensive coordinator, though. Sean McVay had three opportunities to hire him as defensive coordinator and never took him. In 2017, when he took over as the Rams coach, he decided he would let Wade Phillips go. Or he would he would go with Wade Phillips. After he let Wade Phillips go, he went out and got Brandon Staley instead of promoting Barry. And after the 2020 season, when Brandon Staley left, he just let him walk out the door with Staley to Los Angeles before Barry got offered the job in Green Bay. 
Staley, for that matter, also chose not to hire Barry. He was just putting together a coaching staff, and he wanted Barry in an assistant role. He wanted him with him in, with the Chargers, but didn't want him as defensive coordinator. Just because people want to have you around doesn't mean you're necessarily suited for that defensive coordinator role. And again, we should emphasize, this doesn't mean he's necessarily a bad coach. He might be a great linebacker's coach a great assistant, but that doesn't mean he's cut out to be a defensive coordinator. I'd say a fair bit of evidence shows that that is probably the case. Let's try to give this a negative spin, though. If we're going to spin it just completely the opposite way, how would we spin it? I think the first thing you start with is nepotism. Joe Barry has made a career out of knowing people and being related to people. In Detroit, he was hired as defensive coordinator coincidentally just after after. He happened to marry head coach Rod Marinelli's daughter. What a coincidence. And Barry's dad, Mike Barry, ends up as the Detroit Lions offensive line coach, despite having never coached at the NFL level before. What a coincidence. In Washington, he gets hired as defensive coordinator, coincidentally having happened to work with Jay Gruden previously. And look, to an extent, this is just how the NFL works. But it's kind of a bad look for the Packers a little bit. When your top three candidates are a really talented, well-regarded college coach in Jim Leonard, a guy who has failed in his previous two defensive coordinator jobs in, in Barry, and a guy with similar coaching experience other than being defensive coordinator, who's on the way up and is well-regarded throughout the league in a Giro Averro, who has coached in Green Bay before previously, it should be added. It, it's tough to look at that and look who didn't get the job compared to who did and think, man, he's just kind of part of the good old boys club. You can also look at the reality of failing to get the guy you want and then appearing to not have a backup plan that really makes any sense. Jim Leonard, after this situation, is always going to be the guy that got away. And you're going to hear... A lot of unsubstantiated stuff, like maybe the Packers should have offered him more money. Oh, he doesn't deserve to coach in Green Bay anyway, blah, blah, blah. All that stuff is kind of silly, but there's always going to be this hypothetical alternate reality where Jim Leonard is the defensive coordinator for the Packers. Maybe my perspective on this is slanted a little bit, but I'm currently heading a hiring committee right now in my real-life job. And at a real business, air quotes, real business, it seems like Jim Leonard turning them down would be when you would reopen your search and really, really carefully consider your next move and not just jam a guy that you know into that role. Instead, it seems like the Packers and Matt LaFleur really just threw up their hands and went, well, that's it. I guess Jim Leonard doesn't want the job. Who's the next guy who has also been a defensive coordinator before? Jim Barry? All right, come on down. I really want to hear from the Packers and see why It was Barry and not any of these other guys. What was it about Barry himself? I guess right now I'm left with questions about all this. First, why Joe Barry? I think we've covered that pretty exhaustively. Why Joe Barry and not Ajiro Averro? There is the problem with this comp that Averro is an unknown. And yes, there is some personal preference at play here, but I think I would rather take the guy I know nothing about than the guy I do know something about. And what I know happens to be pretty bad. 
Like the only evidence we have about Barry as a defensive coordinator, or Barry or Averro for that matter, the only known quantity here is that Barry had a chance to be the defensive coordinator twice before and was bad both times. That's all the information we have, and that's the guy that they ended up hiring. That doesn't make me feel real good inside. Thirdly, and this is unrelated to anything we've talked about so far, but how does Jerry Gray fit into all this? If Barry is the guy that you hired, does it really just come down to his scheme? Because Gray has been a defensive coordinator before and got better results than Barry has. Gray was in the building already. Gray is well-respected around the league. And Gray, just like Barry does, happens to know Matt LaFleur. They've been co-workers in Green Bay right now. If you're just wanting to get a guy who's experienced, why not Jerry Gray? And what does that say about his future with the Packers? Because I think that would be a mistake if he got out the door here. But all those are hypotheticals. What we do know right now is that Joe Barry has the job, and he has the job in large part because... He runs, apparently, the Vic Fangio scheme. What does that actually mean? Well, take it from Matt LaFleur himself. Here's what Matt LaFleur says about going against the Vic Fangio scheme. Quote, there are so many guys and every system is different, but I look at Vic Fangio, just the fronts and the multiple looks you get from him, that's incredibly difficult. Shoot, Indianapolis last year, we knew exactly what they were going to do to us, and we didn't have the, a lot of experience or success because there was no, they were so sound. They stuffed the run out of two safety defense and played extremely fast, end quote. There's a lot to unpack there, but Lafleur is obviously a fan. But what does it mean to run the Vic Fangio scheme? First, let's start with that idea of a multiple front. In short, this means not 3-4, not 4-3. You're going to get a bunch of different looks, and this is not all that dissimilar from Mike Pettin. He will run four down lineman types, Four guys with their hand in the ground, let's just say that, not necessarily linemen, sometimes edge rushers. He'll run three. He'll run two. His fronts are going to be different. They will have different alignments. So that's one thing you have to keep in mind. It's going to be multiple fronts. But it's going to be basically a 3-4, but not necessarily a traditional 3-4 alignment. Basically a 3-4, not a traditional 3-4. In a traditional 3-4, your linemen up front are largely going to be two-gapping. We've talked about that before. So basically, directly in front of the opposing offensive linemen, trying to hold their ground and watch for somebody to come through on either side of the offensive linemen. That is a very, very basic explanation of what that is. But in short, that's what you're looking for in a traditional 3-4. Fangio's scheme, and to a lesser extent Wade Phillips, wants the linemen to go one way or another, shooting gaps. And the run fits from the linebackers behind them are going to be very similar. They're going to be trying to get to one gap instead of two, which can be really, really good if you've got good personnel to run it. But uh, basically, it's, it's trying to be more simple and forcing the offense to react to you and slow down rather than you reacting to the offense. And that's something that I like about this idea. Joe Barry notwithstanding. I like the idea of a more attacking style of defense than the more passive style that I think Mike Pettin played a lot of the time. However, we should also point out that we can probably expect a fair amount of carryover in Pettin's tendency towards playing light boxes. 
Uh, Brandon Staley ran light boxes, so more defensive backs, fewer linebackers and linemen than just about anybody in the league last year. And that's something that I would expect to carry over with Barry coming to Green Bay, essentially from the Rams. So if you're concerned about the run defense, there is a point you may want to keep in the back of your mind. What about on the back end? What are we going to be looking for for the defensive backfield? This, too, you're going to see multiple things here. It's not straight zone. It's not straight man. It's going to be a lot of different things happening all at the same time, which can cause flashbacks towards Dom Capers, I know, but run well. This can be a really, um, really useful, useful scheme. A lot of people describe it as pattern matching zone. So in man-to-man defense, you are matching basically step-for-step, if you can, exactly the pass pattern that the opposing offense is running. You're standing directly across from the guy and saying, I'm going to follow him wherever he goes. And I'm just I'm going to try to stick with him. Whatever pattern he runs, I'm going to try to run as close to him as I possibly can. That didn't always work out in Green Bay trying to do that, but that is the idea at least. In zone, you're guarding an area, right? Everybody seems to understand that. that that's pretty basic stuff. In pattern matching zone, basically it comes down to adjusting your zone coverage on the fly based on what routes the opposing receivers are running. And it demands a lot of communication between defensive backs and linebackers and a high degree of intelligence from your defensive backs. Which makes me feel pretty good in some senses because I think Jair Alexander can do that. I think Adrian Amos can do that. I think Darnell Savage can do that. I don't know if anybody else on the roster can do that. Pretty sure that Kevin King can't. But in a couple of weeks here, he's not going to be on the Packers roster anymore anyway at least as a function of his contract expiring and being a free agent. Who knows if they bring him back? We will see. Um, But I I have a fairly high degree of confidence that the Packers have at least three guys who can do that, and Chandon Sullivan probably could too in the right position. But that kind of leads us to our next question here. What does this mean for guys already on the roster? I've broken this down into three categories. Players for whom this is good news, players for whom this is uncertain news, and players where this sounds like bad news. First, the good news. I think this is probably good news for Kenny Clark. Kenny Clark is, among other things, a great pass rusher. I think he could get great pressure up the middle. And I think reducing his responsibility in terms of just holding his ground and trying to two-gap against the run can only mean good things. If you're trying to just let Kenny Clark get up the field as quickly as he can. I think it's only going to do good things for the Packers' defense. So if, in that respect, Joe Barry does what I think he's probably going to do, play that more one-gap scheme, this is probably good news for Josh Jackson, or for Kenny Clark. It could also be good news for Josh Jackson, tipping my hand a little bit here. Discord user FMP330 asks, can we cautiously assume that Josh Jackson can be the cornerback, too, that we now need in maybe a Tampa 2-3-4 hybrid that Joe Barry may run. So he can't be any worse. First, answering that question, I would just say that it can always be worse. 
Don't assume that it can't get worse because it always can. But more to the point, I think this could be an opportunity to really see what Josh Jackson can do. That was supposedly going to be the thing in training camp last year. They were just going to have Josh Jackson be an outside zone corner. Well, it didn't really work out that way. He didn't really get that many opportunities to do that. And when he did get opportunities, it didn't go particularly well. But a scheme change is an opportunity to do new things. And maybe Josh Jackson can finally have an opportunity to do something that he's really good at. All along, we've been told he's a good zone corner. He didn't get a a ton of opportunities to do that in Green Bay, either because he failed when he was out there or he just didn't get on the field that much. Well, with the new defensive coordinator in town and one year left on his contract, it seems like he is going to at least get an opportunity to wind it back a little bit. And don't forget, Josh Jackson is a pretty good athlete. He's got good size. He doesn't have great long speed, but he did pretty well in the agility stuff. There could be an opportunity for him to shine in this defense. And shine is going to be a relative term there. But it doesn't seem to our Discord friend's question here, like he, at least, can get much worse. He might be worse than Kevin King. We never know. But it doesn't seem like things can get much worse for Josh Jackson because he really just wasn't playing at all. I would say that Barry's hire is uncertain news for Preston Smith. Now, there is some temptation to say, hey, Preston Smith did well in Washington under Joe Barry. Maybe he does the same thing in Green Bay. I don't know. I don't think a scheme change changes the plans for Preston Smith cap-wise in Green Bay. Now, we did get news this week that the cap is going to be around $180, $181 million instead of $175. That is a bit higher than people were projecting. But I don't know if that's enough to save Preston Smith in Green Bay. And I don't think the fact that they hired his former coordinator really changes things all that much for them at all. But this sounds like downright bad news for the Packers inside linebackers. If you go back and read a lot of the stuff that Barry said when he was the coordinator in Washington and when he talks about his philosophy uh, back in Detroit, he wants linebackers who can run and cover. And I don't think the Packers have any linebackers who are particularly uh, savvy coverage-wise. That was supposed to be Kamal Martin's thing coming out of Minnesota. I don't think we saw that at all in 2020. Christian Kirksey was a liability in coverage as often as not. And Chris Barnes, for all of his wonderful uh, things that he was able to do down the stretch, playing with a cast on his hand, I don't think uh, one Chris Barnes a linebacking core makes. Even even in a 3-4, anything that has even a distant relation to the, the famed Monty Kiffin Tampa 2 is going to be linebacker heavy. You just need guys that are athletic and can cover there. And I don't think the Packers really have the horses there. I would not be surprised at all if we finally got some investment in inside linebacker this year. This is the point where I point out that Patrick uh, Patrick Queen went 28th overall in the draft last year, two years or two picks after the Packers. If you need a fast coverage type linebacker, that seemed like something that he might have been able to do. But I digress. It seems like the Packers, though, might finally have to invest a little bit in that position. Maybe a top 100 pick, finally, 
at inside linebacker. Or a hybrid safety linebacker type. We talked about Jeremy Chin last spring. Somebody who may be a converted safety if you want to play your Brandon Staley light box sort of looks but still have linebacker types down there. That may be the the sort of an investment that they make at that position. But in any case, I think the Packers are going to need uh, more of an investment at inside linebacker, whether it's a, a linebacker alone or a linebacker hybrid type. They need somebody else there. Those are my Joe Barry thoughts as of February 9th, 2021. I'm still pretty fresh on this news. I would say right now I'm leaning towards negative. I really don't see what the selling point is on this hire. This is a little bit different than Matt LaFleur. I think this is considerably different than Matt LaFleur. Yep, it's a bit of an unknown. Yep, it's certainly not a possible pick or a popular pick. But I think the potential upside here seems to be a lot lower than with Matt LaFleur. And I really don't know how big of a change we've made from Mike Pettin. We'll see, and we'll continue to learn together. So I've got for you in this episode. do appreciate you listening in, and I appreciate you, as always, uh, downloading this episode, and, and even more importantly, telling a friend. If you enjoyed the show and think someone else would benefit from it as well, go ahead and share this podcast. That would mean a lot to me. It's going to help more people find the show. Uh, More people listening is how we uh, continue to have this conversation around the Packers and change people's minds and help people grow their understanding of this great game that we all love. Because ultimately, as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.